Good morning. It's good, right? There we go. <laughs> so that way I'm not bending down like that. <laughs> how, how is everybody doing this morning? Wonderful, wonderful. It's a, it's a privilege. It's an honor. Um, I, was, I was honored when I got that email from Pastor Austin uh, asking if I could come and share the word uh, here at Griffin First Presbyterian. Um, it's such a blessing. I was here uh, not too long ago, and uh, the Lord has allowed me to come back and share the word. Uh, the, the scripture for today uh, is coming out of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, the Bible reads, speaking of Jesus, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them just like what Jesus did most of the time. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Levi is the Hebrew name for Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of a fair, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. And with the Lord's help, the subject I'm preaching uh, for this sermon, the subject is exactly the type he came for. Exactly the type he came for. There's one uh, speaker, uh, one uh, minister I often listen to. Uh, every now and then he'll begin his sermon with a warning. He'll say something like, what I'm about to say might either excite you, it might challenge you, it might provoke you, but my prayer and my hope is that we hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, even through this broken vessel today. Let us bow our heads and seek the Lord as we begin this service. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you've allowed us to be here today. We thank you that you have called us as your people. You call each one of us by name. We thank you, God, that you've gathered us in this place to hear what the Spirit says to us. 
Lord, our hearts are open to you. May you speak, Lord. Speak to us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Lord, may you touch this feeble vessel, this broken vessel that you have chosen to use today to share your word. Spirit of the living God, may my words be inspired by you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in the sight of the living God. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If, if you have ever been in any type of relationship uh, with a significant other, or if you've uh, at least attempted to get involved in a relationship, um, I'm, I'm guessing the phrase, not my type, is something that you've probably said to somebody or about somebody, or something that someone has said to you. Uh, do we have any singles in here? I don't mean to put you on the spot. Anybody that's single here? All right. Uh, the, the, the phrase, not my type, is, is something I have said uh, before and something that's been said to me. Uh, or maybe I might just be the only one in here who's ever thought I'm the best thing to happen since Adam that deserved the best-looking woman out there. Uh, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit biased. I think my wife is the best-looking thing that I've ever found on this side of heaven. Um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just being biased there. Uh, so when we say she's not my type or he's not my type, what we're really saying is uh, there's, there's something about this person's character, there's something about this person's appearance, something about them that maybe we don't find attractive, something that we're not drawn to, uh, something that doesn't pull us to them. Uh, something that makes us not want to uh, maybe be connected to this person or be in, in their presence. And I, I, I do agree. Uh, I mean, we need to be attracted to somebody, uh, especially if we are going to spend the rest of our lives with that person. Uh, I've, been, I've been married to my wife for nine years, going 10 years. Uh, it just feels... Like, just like when we started, I'm still drawn to her. She still wows me by her beauty and just who she is as a person. Uh, because she is, she's my type. She's my type. And if I were to do it all over again, I would still gladly be with her because she is 
my type. Uh, I say this to, to say that this is how we humans tend to operate when it comes to uh, love relationships with our significant others. We, we tend to, to be drawn by something that attracts us uh, to that person. But, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing. While it's okay for us to think and act this way in love relationships with our significant others, we, we cannot bring the same approach, the same mindset in our interactions with the world as we carry out our duties as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. The, the danger, I'm afraid, is when if we, we, we carry this, this same mindset into our interactions with the world, the not my type mindset, we can easily confuse how we feel about certain people uh, for how God feels. We can easily label people, certain people we encounter in our Christian journey as not my type. Perhaps because of something unattractive about that person, specifically if uh, we perceive them as a sinner, right? Uh, people who may be perceived as you know, misfits in our society because of some type of public failure, some type of public sin about that person that's known and obvious to all. Uh, we are naturally not going to be drawn to them. Um, and, and the danger doesn't end here. The thing is, if we are not careful, uh, we can even go so far as to cancel that person or write them off as someone who's not, uh, or who's not redeemable because of that very one thing that hangs in our minds about their failure, about their sin, that we find so unattractive that we don't want to be drawn to them. And once we write someone off, uh, it will be nearly impossible for us to move toward them and even make an effort to want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And this is exactly the spirit that Jesus is confronted with in the text today. Uh, this is this is what's happening in the text. Jesus happens to be by the seaside, and a large crowd follows him to hear his teachings. And along the way, Jesus bumps into Matthew, who was working at the tax booth. Max, Ma Matthew was working for the uh, Roman IRS, collecting taxes. And Jesus asks Matthew to become his follower. And Matthew follows him. The scene of the story changes from the tax booth. Now we are in the tax collector's home. And Jesus there is, the text says, he is reclining with tax collectors and those labeled as sinners. And Jesus is feasting with them. When you uh, look up that word reclining that's being used in this version of my text, uh, it carries the idea of someone sitting down at rest at the table eating comfortably with others. Uh, we can picture Jesus here sitting down. He's sitting down there. He's chatting with his hands down, comfortable at rest, eating, I don't know what burger of the day was, what fries of the day were. I don't know what Jesus is eating, but he is feasting with these individuals. And we're told the room was filled with tax collectors and perceived sinners. 
We're not given the specific identities of who these sinners were, but one thing that is sure is that they were perceived sinners or misfits of society because they didn't live up to the standards of shared religious practices uh, of the Jewish community, um, at least externally speaking. So they, they saw them as sinners. Perhaps their ugly past or personal failures were publicly known and obvious to all. We don't know whether some ex-convicts were in there. We don't know whether some ex-prostitutes were in there, some ex-thieves were in there. We're not told the identity of these perceived sinners, but they, they are referred to as sinners. We can only speculate what kind of people were in there that Jesus was reclining with, that Jesus was feasting with. But you can imagine brushing shoulders with this type of crowd was not good optics for a Jew who claimed to follow the law. Uh, it's not something that will be looked at as uh, someone is doing something that's commendable. Uh, because what's happening here uh, to a Jew that's dedicated or committed to the law, the, this is something they would dub as an unholy association. Uh, nevertheless, it's right here. It's right there where Jesus saw it fit to be at this particular place and this particular time. He's with the sinners and the tax collectors. The tax collectors were infamous individuals because they were Jews who, uh, whose job was to gather tolls and tariffs, collecting taxes from fellow Jews on all kinds of produce and, and goods that are being sold and transported. Uh, while being a tax collector was not anything that was illegal. The, 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 the thing is, uh, a lot of Jews frowned on tax collectors because uh, they, they saw them as traitors because these people were working for Rome and trying to get money from them. So they didn't like that. Another reason why the Jews did not like the tax collectors because they saw them as fraudsters, uh, questionable individuals, because being a tax collector was often associated with dishonest practices. Uh, the Jews often accused the tax collectors of swindling them because they felt like they were being overcharged so that these guys could make profits for themselves. So tax collectors were not people to want to hang around with. But this is where Jesus finds himself. In fact, the text says there were many tax collectors and sinners there. And it was only a matter of time before this quote-unquote unholy fist would go viral. Um, I, I don't know what, what social media of the time was, but I'm sure the, the Facebook of the first century, the, the TikTok and Instagrams and all that social media they had on that day, this is something that was popping up in every news feed. And it was only a matter of time before the Pharisees would hear of it. Uh, it's only a matter of time before the infuriated Pharisees would come, running to come and see this thing they are hearing that's happening there. And they came ready to make Jesus hear what they had to say, to set him straight. 
the Pharisees were always critical of Jesus. They always had something to say about how he interacted with the world. And so this was another opportunity for, for them to point fingers at what Jesus was doing. Now, something about the Pharisees is that they, 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 were, they, were, these, these were, they were part of the Jewish elite. The, the, the Pharisees were influential uh, Orthodox Jewish theologians. Uh, the, their name their name meant the pious ones or the separated ones. The, the Pharisees, they, they put so much great emphasis on uh, high levels of personal piety. They preached obedience to not only the Ten Commandments, but all the 631 commandments of the Mosaic Law. In addition to that, all other external laws that had separated the Jews and distinguished them from other groups. They had laws on everything, laws on how you should dress, laws on how or what you should eat, laws on how you should even pray out loud. They had laws for everything. Can you imagine having to wrestle with a thousand laws that you have to find a way to, to keep? The pursuit of personal piety for the Pharisees gave them this sense of self-righteousness and made them determined ever more to uh, separate themselves from people they deemed as sinners, including the tax collectors. As a matter of fact, people that they felt were not following the law, they considered them as accursed. And so it's no surprise that the, the, the Pharisees would come questioning Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? But if you look at how Jesus responds to them, Jesus is demonstrating here that what he's doing was, in fact, something that required no more than common sense. If you just look at the response that Jesus gives to them, watch his response in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I did not come here to call the righteous but sinners. And so guess where would be the most appropriate place for me to be? If I came here to heal the sick and to deliver sinners, I'm going to be around sinners. So the Pharisees here had it all wrong. In fact, this crowd that Jesus was uh, hanging around with this disreputable crowd, these, these misfits of society that they would, these Pharisees would not want to be around were actually the perfect candidates of the presence and the company of Jesus at this particular time and place. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, in spite of whatever labels and identities that they had, were exactly the type of people that Jesus had come for. They were exactly the type of people that Jesus wanted to be around at this particular time and place. Now, the, the, the fundamental problem with the Pharisees is that they, they were so lost in erecting the, their own self-righteous statues to the point where they missed that the person that was standing right in the midst of them was none other than the Messiah himself, the, the, the very savior of the world that they were looking forward to. He was standing right there in front of them, but they were so lost in being so self-righteous 
and feeling so important and more important than everybody else. No wonder they didn't understand how Jesus interacted with the world because they didn't understand who he was. They had problems with claims that he made about himself. But Jesus silences them with his response. Once he responded to them, they changed the topic. They brought up another subject. Uh, isn't it funny how sometimes when you have that person that likes to always argue with you, but whenever you bring out the truth and the facts, all of the problems, they freeze, right? And they start looking for other things to talk about. And this is exactly what's happening with the Pharisees. And Jesus encountered them in so many places because they always tried to criticize him, to test him, to trap him with their questions. But Jesus always had, had a way of silencing them with his answers, especially his responses with questions most of the time. He always saw through their, 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 their hearts and never hesitated to point out the hypocrisy that was in their hearts. In fact, Jesus had some very choice words for them. Uh, in various gospels, when you look at the gospels in various places, you will find Jesus calling them hypocrites. Fools, you would think Jesus would not say that, but this is exactly what he said. He said they were fools. They were blind guides. They were full of greed and self-indulgence. They were serpents, generation of vipers. They were children of hell. Can you imagine somebody calling you a children of hell when you thought you were this big shot that knows God and you've got the word of God and Jesus said, you are nothing but a child of hell. And this is exactly what Jesus called them. Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but full of dead bones on the inside and everything unclean. That's not something pretty to be said about you. That's not something pretty to be said about me. But unfortunately, this band of Pharisees that thought they were so righteous, this is exactly how Jesus saw them on the inside. The, the thing about the Pharisees is that they had a memory of the law. They had head knowledge of the law, but they lacked the meaning of the law. Their minds were so saturated with the letter of the law, but their hearts were starving of the inward spirit of the law. This is true when you look at how they the kind of statements that they, they, they made when you look in the Gospels, how they responded to common people, you will notice here that the, 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 the tongues of the Pharisees, their tongues were so quick. In fact, very much quicker than their hands. They were quick to admonish someone that they found was not following the law, but were very slow to lend a hand to someone that was on the, in a ditch, stuck somewhere, in the name of following the law. Their tongues were quicker than their hands. They had the letter of the law, but they didn't have the spirit of the law. The sad thing about this, when I think about the Pharisees, is that even, even myself sometimes, I have caught myself acting and feeling like I'm holier than thou, you know, uh, to the point where 
I am quick to perceive sin in other people, forgetting that my own righteousness that I have is nothing but filthy rags in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've caught myself, and the Lord has had to tug on my heart and to convict me, to change my thinking and how I see myself. Lest we forget when God made his move toward us, toward you, when God found us, he didn't do so when we are so attractive and we had everything figured out. We were so all together, but he didn't. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet broken and messed up and messy, Jesus came down and found us and he came knocking at the door. The truth is, all of us, we were all ugly on the inside when the Lord found us. But he still saw us as his type. The kind that he needed to be around. The kind that he needed to love on. The kind that he needed to cover with his presence. The kind that he needed to extend a hand to save us from our sin. So the Lord's challenge to me in this text is that I take a hard look at myself and examine whether I have the Pharisee in me. And it's my prayer that all of us gathered here and all of us, those that are joining us online, it's, it's, it's my prayer that we, you join me in examining ourselves and see whether we have the Pharisee in us. It's incumbent upon all of us. It's incumbent upon each child of God to silence the Pharisee in us, if it exists, in order that the presence of the Holy Spirit, in order that the presence of Jesus can be felt and seen by the world in us. So the, the, the question here is, who are the tax collectors and sinners in our lives. Any tax collectors and sinners in our families, maybe uh, on the job where we work? Any tax collectors? Uh, for those of us, if anybody's in school somewhere, any tax collectors in those circles? Follow-up question is, how do we often respond to people we perceive as sinners. What's our usual response? Do we tend to find ourselves feeling like we're too clean to be in their company because they carry too much baggage, because they, their lives are just too messy and we, we, we have no time for that. We don't wanna have to deal with that. How do we respond to them? Do we, do we tend to find ourselves feeling like we're too clean to be in their company? Can we stand being in the same room, whether here at church or out there in some different settings in the world with those we may perceive as misfits or sinners for one reason or another? Can we stomach? being with them and sitting down with them and perhaps eating with these sinners and perhaps being seen with these people. Can we stomach that? If, if they ever invited us to 
a birthday party somewhere. Those we perceive as sinners, if they invited us to a neighborhood tailgate party, right, can we stomach going there and sitting down and having some ribs with them? Can we stand that? Or have we already uh, rehearsed some good excuses that we can always give to get ourselves off the hook if an invitation came? I am no exception. I'm guilty myself. I can look over, back over my life. There are times where I said no to some invitations. Excuse me. There were times in my life where I've said no to certain invitations. Not because I didn't have the time or I was doing something, but just because I didn't want to be around those people because they were perceived sinners. I didn't want to rub shoulders with them because I felt like I was so holy than thou, I was so clean. And I said, no. Are we so worried about the optics, how people might think of us, how fellow Christians might think of us? If they saw us barbecuing with sinners and those tax collectors in our lives? The thing is, the same people that we might be avoiding because they are perceived sinners, these are the same people that the Lord would gladly spend time with and reach out to. When the Lord called his disciples, he said, I will make you fishers of men. If you know fishing, I've not done a lot of fishing in my life, but I do remember when, when I stayed in a village with my grandparents in Africa way back, over 20 years ago, I do remember fishing was no clean business. When you get that fish, you, you have to be ready to deal with some stinky gills and stinky fish guts. Fishing is not clean work. Evangelism is not clean work. Church is not clean work. Soul saving is not clean work. It's dirty work. But it's worth it. I came across a story that a public sinner was ex excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. So he took his complaints, his woes to God. He said, they won't let me in, Lord, because I'm a sinner. And the Lord responded to him and said, they won't let me in either. What every child of God must bear in mind is that whenever we forbid sinners from our circles, we are also forbidding the God that loves those sinners and wants them to come home. The God who loved them enough to send his only begotten son to come and die and shed his blood for them. Even to the extent while he was on this earth, to the extent of him putting his own reputation on the line to go and sit with his same sinners and eat with them. That's just how much God loves them. And if the Lord had to do it all over again, 
he would still come down into this messy world, perhaps being born in a manger again, living with the same messy people, having to shed his blood again, having to die on that awful cross again because he loves sinners. And his goal is that these sinners would receive his immeasurable, unconditional, unfeigned love. That's his goal. It's not that while he's spending time with sinners that he might partake in their sins. His goal is that ultimately that opportunity may be a platform, an open door for these people to be partakers of eternal life that he has for them. My last question as I close this morning is that all of us have to wrestle with this. Might the Lord be placing us in certain uncomfortable settings with certain uncomfortable people in order that we, in following his example, just as he did when he found himself in the company of sinners and tax collectors, might the Lord be placing us in those situations so that we can use them as moments, as open doors to help point people to Christ, open doors to help share the gospel Open doors to help share the light of Christ and the love of God. Might he be trying to do that sometimes when he brings certain of these people in our lives? I pray as we think about this word today that we will allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. That we will maybe think about maybe some of those people that we've cut ourselves from just because we were uncomfortable because we saw their life was not up to the standard that we are as children of God. May we allow the Lord to work on our hearts and use us as his vessels in those situations to help point people to Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that you have spoken to our hearts. Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit would convict our hearts. As we look over different situations in our lives where we have cut people off, where we have written people off because we've perceived something unattractive about them in their character or their ugly past, Father, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the world, to see sinners the way that you see them, to feel for them the way that you feel for them. God, work on us, Lord. Our spirits are willing. May you help us with your spirit so we can be more like you. To the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.